I hope you're there. <laughs> John chapter 13. I'm going to start um, in verse 4, kind of just into the, the story, but we're looking at the Last Supper here. So John 13, verse 4 says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a, a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord, and neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And we'll pray. Again, Father, as we turn to your word, we just thank you for it, and thank you for the example that Christ is to us. Um, Lord, help us to understand what it means when he says to take up our cross and to follow him, Lord. Um, Help us to understand his intention for us. Help us to understand the lessons that he wants us to learn, that you want us to learn from these scriptures, Lord. So, Lord, I just ask for your help this morning. Guide my thoughts and words that uh, they would be of help this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So interesting, looking at the various aspects of these last moments of Jesus' life and some of the things that we can look at. And John, the, the Gospel of John, is the only Gospel that gives this part of that story, that this part of the Last Supper or that evening of the washing of the disciples' feet is only contained in the Gospel of John, not in the other Gospels. But it's a very interesting part of the story. Um, and I just, maybe we need to understand that this isn't that weird. <laughs> um, it's weird in the, you notice that Peter's response is to like, hold on. I know who you are and you are not to be washing my feet. If anything, it should have been the other way around. And obviously Peter understood that, that the master, the Lord over, isn't the one who washes the servant's feet. 
Remember that, like Jesus told the story of the servant that goes out in the field and he asks the question, when the servant works all day and he comes back in and the, the ma- does the master say, sit down, relax, I'll cook you a meal? No, he says, make me food. <laughs> that's like, that's the, the roles of the master and the servant. Like the master doesn't care so much about the well-being of the servant. It's that that servant's job is to take care of the well-being of the master. And so Peter understands this and he understands that Jesus doing this is backwards. There's something amiss about Jesus stooping to this level. But just to look at, I was actually surprised. I started to look at some of the instances of people washing feet through scripture. And it's actually mentioned quite a number of times, even as we go through the Old Testament. Just turn to one instance, um, which is in uh, Genesis chapter 24. just to to get that picture that this is not a weird thing for the time and the culture and and whatnot. Genesis 24 is a few years earlier, but... So Genesis 24 verses... We're just going to, in the middle of the story here, but verse 31 says, and... And he said, come in, thou blessed of the Lord. This is, this is Laban talking. He's inviting Abraham's servant, which has come looking for a wife for Isaac. If you need the context here. So he says, come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house and he ungirded his camels and gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And so we just see Laban, and as if Laban did this, right? He says, I've prepared the barn. I've got the food ready for the camels. I've brought the water for you to wash. Laban didn't do any of that. <laughs> Laban had it done. But, he, but the point is, he's got a, an honored guest, and he's prepared so that they can wash their feet. This guy isn't even by himself. It's like, he's a servant, he's got servants. And they put water for them to all wash their feet. Why do they do this? It's because the means of travel, when you're riding horses and walking and traveling on dirt roads, and I don't know if you've ever thought about mode of transportation is always animal-powered, and the pollution from that is not the same as from our cars. <laughs> it doesn't just go in the air. It goes onto the road. And so there's a need to wash your feet when you come into someone's home for various reasons. And so we see that in another instance in the, in the Gospels. We see the story, Jesus is in this guy's house and some woman shows up and she's at Jesus' feet crying and her tears are dripping on his feet, and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And as soon as you get the better picture of this, this is a little more disgusting than we would think in our, in our current circumstances. But she's doing this, and the guy criticizes Jesus. You're letting this woman, this sinner, touch your feet? And Jesus says, you didn't even offer me water to wash my feet when I came in. 
And that was like, you ought to have done, because that's the custom, right? There's a lot of need for the washing of feet. And I don't know if you guys grip, grasp this. I have to be careful who I pick. Oh, I forgot to turn this on. Who I pick for this job. Because in today's world, like, I don't want to be accused of anything that I've never seen. <laughs> so, I actually have water. And Jesus took the pitcher of water and he dumped it into a basin. Wraps himself in a towel so he doesn't get it all over himself. sometimes. But when we get to this interaction between Jesus and Peter, Peter says, thou shalt never wash my feet. Like Peter knows his place before Jesus. He knows that that is not who should be washing his feet and he ought to be bowing before Christ and washing his but in that interaction, this is, that's verse 8. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And so Simon 
saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. And I'm glad for verse 11, because when it says, but not all, verse 11 clarifies specifically what Jesus is referring to there. As in, he's not talking about Peter not being completely clean. He's talking about somebody in this room isn't completely clean. Somebody in this room hasn't been washed. And me sitting here washing his feet is not helping him, is kind of what Jesus is saying. When we look at, we get into, what is he talking about? First John 1 John 1.9, I hope most of you can quote it. It was one of our, my first verses as a kid that I was memorizing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is kind of a, an aspect of this washing of the feet. When we walk through the world, which we do every day, we dirty our feet, so to speak. In Jesus' day, they're wearing sandals, open-toed shoes of some sort, dirty roads. You get dirt on your feet. And it's... Jen, is it nice to have a nice warm foot bath? the end of the day it's nice to get a foot rub at the end. Like, I don't know it's nice right and so but to get that dirt off your feet it was important to come into the house and not track that in through the house and around the table which was typically a, not a table with chairs around it but a low table that they would lounge on the floor around you don't want filthy feet. Make it a mess around this thing. And so, the picture of the feet needing to be cleaned, even though the person may have just bathed in the local public bathhouse, maybe in the river, the lake, whatever, they're clean, but they walked, and now their feet are dirty, and they need to wash their feet before they come in the house. When we walk through our life and we're in the world and we're taking part in things we're saying, we're thinking, we're seeing, there's stuff in our lives that's not what it ought to be. And we're getting that dirt on us. And it's like the washing of feet. We need to get that out of our life before it contaminates our whole house and the whole rest of our, our lives. And so we need to, to come to, to God and and cleanse ourselves, confessing our sins, righting the wrongs in our life before God, to clean those things up. Now, here's a, I, I, there's a guy on YouTube, and his entire mission on YouTube is the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. And he receives more criticism from Christians, from people that call themselves Christians, than anybody else I've ever seen on YouTube. Because in the simplicity of the gospel, it's like, 
What does it take to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe what? That he died for your sins, and that he was buried, and he rose from the dead. That's it. The end of the gospel message is that. There is no other further requirement in that gospel message. And that's what people hate. Well, you have to have faith without works is dead, right? So you have to have works to go with that faith, or, or it's dead. Well, that's not the message of salvation. The message of salvation is that believe. If you've believed with all your heart that that is true, then you're saved. So when Jesus points and says, if you've been washed, all you need is to wash your feet. It's not like you can't, you're already clean. (laughs) You've already been cleansed. Can't make you any cleaner. Right? Clean is clean. It's just, let's, let's get the filth of the world off of you. But that's not nothing to do with your salvation. Your, the cleansing for salvation is done. So the washing of the feet, the confessing of the sins from day to day, the good works that we do, has absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. It's just like the, the living out of our faith, those things take place. But that's not how we get cleansed. We don't maintain my salvation through good works. I couldn't get it through good works, how could I possibly maintain it through good works? And the, the common argument, you have to repent of your sin to be saved. You have to turn from your sin. Have you turned from every sin that you've ever committed? Have you? That means like, they're gone, right? I've turned from them, I, I no longer do those things. Sorry, I do some of those things still. I have a Crappy attitude with my wife some days. No way. No, not, not her. She's perfect. You know what? And I can repent of that, as in I'm like, I'm sorry. But you know what? Tomorrow I might do it again. I didn't, I haven't stopped sinning. That's not possible in this flesh for me to stop sinning. And so we need to continue to maintain this relationship with God. As in, I don't want to dirty up the whole house. Right? This, I am, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? So let's not make the thing filthy by dragging all of our sin into it and not ever dealing with the washing away of it, like get cleaning that stuff up. I want to look at this idea of washing and how the scripture uses that word to describe our salvation. Um, I'm going to start backwards. I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 1. We sing a song. We sing several songs, actually, about being washed in the blood. doesn't sound like a very cleaning substance, does it? <laughs> but Revelation 1, verse 5, says, and from, John's just introducing the letter, and he says, and from Jesus Christ, 
who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There's the washing that we need. And this is why Jesus had to say to Peter, you don't yet understand what I'm doing, but you will. (laughs) Peter didn't understand that he needed Christ's shed blood on that cross as payment for his sins. He didn't understand what Jesus was about to do in being sacrificed like the sacrificial lamb as having his blood poured out before God as an offering for your sin. He couldn't know that. Well, he could have if he had listened carefully to what Jesus had said, but the Bible says that they, their understanding was blocked up until this point, until after it happened. And then they looked back at all these things that Jesus said, and they, they understood, they remembered that he said these things and that this is going to happen. And so Jesus tells Peter, you, were, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you're going to understand. And so after, afterwards, Peter understood that it's his blood that has washed him, cleansed him. And now this washing of the feet thing has nothing to do with salvation. It only has to do with a right relationship and, and a continuing growth in my faith and in my walk with God. When we get into Titus, go back a, a little bit in your Bible. Titus chapter 2, sorry, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have been washed. It says he saved us by the washing of regeneration. It's like we put to death this body of sin. And unfortunately, it's not an instantaneous thing that this thing needs to die and I get the new one, right? There's a promise made at that point of belief that this physical body is going to die and I'm going to get a new perfect one someday down the road when, when all these things are fulfilled. But it says, the washing of regeneration. I've been regenerated. <laughs> I've been made new in Christ because of his blood that washes away my sin. Colossians chapter 2, it talks about the, the law being nailed to the cross and being blotted out. It's like, by his blood. It's like, God's blood is like, poured all over the scriptures, 
And it's like God's like, well, according to what I can read here, there's no fault in you. <laughs> it's kind of what that's implying. Blessed is he whom the Lord doth not impute iniquity, right? It's not that we don't do it and haven't done it, but God's looking at Christ's blood over top of the law and is no longer applying our sin to us. He says, well, it's covered. It's done. It's taken care of. It's been washed by perfect blood. I'm going to come back to, to Titus eventually, if you feel like putting something in there. But uh, I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 26. We're into a whole bunch of different stuff in this passage here. Husbands and wives and the church being subject to Christ and all this stuff. But in the, in the middle of all of it, we get to Ephesians 5.26. He says, that he, may, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that's us, the church, with the washing of water by the word. What in the world? <laughs> Well, we could go through scripture and see like Jesus describes himself as living water. <laughs> John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Christ is described as the word and as living water. And so when he says, that he may sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, all we can do is look to Christ. Like, it's not... If you, if you were baptized as, a, as an infant and had water dumped on you, or if you were baptized as an adult and were dunked in the creek out back, that didn't save you. <laughs> that didn't clean your sins away in any way, shape, or form. You can sit there jumping up and down in that creek all day, all year, the rest of your life, and you'll never wash away your sin through washing of water, but by the word. <laughs> Believe what the word has to say about it, that it's Christ's blood that washes our sin, and that's where our salvation will come from. I'm going to look one more, one more passage here on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that sure limits it, doesn't it? Doesn't some aspect of one of those things describe you and me? 
in our hearts at very least, if not in our outward actions. It says anybody that is those things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But thankfully, we have verse 11. It says, and such were some of you. But, I'm going to pause, like, make this clear. This, such were some of you, isn't that you used to do that and now you don't do it. Because he's going to explain this here. It says, but ye are sanctified. Sorry, I skipped a spot. But you are washed. It's not, but you stopped doing those things. It says, but you're washed in the blood of Christ. It's paid for. It says, but you're sanctified. You're justified. You are justified if you've trusted Christ as complete payment for your sin, plus nothing. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Which is why Paul can say in the next verse, all things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. As in, I can go back and I can do all those things that I just listed. And none of it's going to affect my salvation once I've been washed. But man, that stuff's not good for you. It's going to ruin your testimony. It's going to ruin your walk with God. Don't do the stuff. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We don't do that. That's not our attitude. And it's, but we understand that it's not the stopping of those things that has gained me salvation. And the only way that I was one of those and am not currently one of those is by God's washing of me, not by me stopping doing it. Such were some of you. Past tense, that's how God looks at us because of Christ's blood on us. We're justified, we're sanctified, and we're washed in Christ. And that's the only way that we are sanctified and justified before God is in the name of Jesus Christ. When we're back in John 13, I mentioned this already, the next or the end of verse 11, when he's, sorry, the end of verse 10, when he says, but you're clean, completely clean, and you're, ye are clean. And he says, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Ye are not all clean. I don't know if I'm talking to someone here this morning that falls under that category and you are not all clean. One of you maybe isn't, and I don't know. Christ had the advantage, he knew. <laughs> we can't know. But I can know this. The offer is made available to you. It's made available to all. If you held your spot in Titus, which I didn't, Titus chapter 2, and verse 11, 
It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Well, that's kind of nice. <laughs> Does that mean everybody's saved? If Christ's blood paid for everybody, does that mean everybody's saved? Well, clearly not, because there was a lot of, there's a lot of discussion as to what's the requirement is, is belief. You must believe in order to receive. But it's available to all. It hath appeared to all men. That salvation is available to all. And I've quoted this verse many times, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, I read verses 7 to 9. It says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we're talking about like we talk a lot about the end times, and there's a there is a deadline for this world. Like there is an expiry date, and it is going to. I'd like I'd say self-destruct, but it's not really a self-destruct because God's going to do it. The whole thing's going to be burned up and destroyed. God's going to judge the world and every, every single person that's in it. But we look here, we're sitting here like, what's the holdup, God? Like, any day now, right? Like, last week would have been great. What a, what a stinking, rotten world where we have to go to school and argue with our teachers about the reality of history of the church the reality of gender and all these crazy things that we are stuck dealing with these days and like god aren't you going to fulfill your promise and like people are like ah, this stuff's it's just stories it's not real god's not doing that god's got no power to to do this stuff it was just but it says, God's not slack concerning his promise. When people question, where's the promise of your coming? It said, God's being patient, letting, watch my language. <laughs> people like that, that stand in rebellion against God, waving, we talked about the rainbow the other day. The rainbow is a reminder of God's promise not to destroy the earth with a flood again. You know what it's also a reminder of? That God judged the earth and destroyed it with a flood. God is a judge of sin. And he's going to do it again, just not in the same way. And so when people wave that rainbow in God's face in defiance, doing the very things that he says are an abomination doing the very thing that God destroyed cities and nations for doing, 
God's not slack concerning his promise. This day is coming. That destruction is coming, and God is going to judge. But he's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. He's giving more opportunity for you and me to go and preach the gospel and get one more soul on the right side of eternity. He's giving you, if you haven't received that yet, another day, maybe, to turn and believe that. To put your faith in his sacrifice for your sins instead of thinking that you're good enough. If you still have your spot at John 13, and I'm going to look at the, the chapter right before it. I might be reading into this just a little bit more than what's really here, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it anyway. John chapter 12, verse 35 and verse 36. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. What is he saying? He says, while you have light, believe in the light. As in, if you reject the gospel enough times, God's going to, like, Romans 1 says he gives them over to a reprobate mind. It's like they can't even recognize light from darkness anymore. They can't recognize the gospel message. Not even capable anymore of turning to that light. If you reject God for too long, there may come a day when that option is no longer available. I don't know if it's really saying that there ever comes a day in our, in our physical life that we actually couldn't possibly respond, but it kind of gives that indication that while you've got light, like while the gospel is being presented and you understand what is being said to you, that's the time to believe it. Don't put that off thinking, I'll consider that another day. I've got a life to live. I've got things I want to do. I've got things I don't want to give up. Imagine what in this world, what thing in this world is worth holding on to in exchange for eternity in hell? <laughs> right? Like, I'd rather this than, than heaven. I'd, I'd rather hold on to this and then have to suffer for eternity because I just don't want to give up this thing in this rotten world. What a, what a thought. Like, what a backwards way of thinking of things. Repent. As in, change your mind about who Christ is and your need of him as payment for your sin while that opportunity is available. Let's, let's pray.
Lord, this image of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and Peter recognizing that the master ought not to be washing the servants' feet. That this was backwards in some way, but Jesus was giving him a picture of salvation, of the washing of our sin by the blood of Christ that was about to happen and that we need to continue to deal with sin that's in our lives, that we need to, to get rid of these things to maintain our walk, not, not our salvation, but in our, but our fellowship with you. Help us to do that. Help us to understand that, Lord. Help us to have a desire to put away those things that are causing our, our lives to be dirty from sin, Lord. We just again, commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.